And we have these words from Paul's letter to the Romans, words which are always good to hear, but especially today are a blessing to hear. We're in chapter 8, and we are going to begin reading at verse 28. Listen for the word of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we have mentioned more than once, this community has um, experienced something not fair. And so many of you have been in the trenches, so to speak, in trying to bring God's right out of something that doesn't seem fair trying to bring God's grace and mercy and compassion into neighborhoods where that grace and compassion is sorely needed, to an office pulled from one direction to the other with lists way too long to be handled by one or two people. And so we are going to hear stories this morning from some of you who have been involved in these efforts. And so we're going to hear first from Jim Ward. Jim, come share with us. Good morning. Jim Ward, I'm a member of a community Christian Sunday school class downstairs uh, by the choir loft. We used to be the young adult class. I think we're three steps away from that at this point in time. But I got a call, I guess it was the Monday after, so the storm came through Saturday. I told Clay and Connie um, off all week, so I'd be willing to help out. And we were getting a work crew ready to go out the next morning. 
But Connie was in, she's kind of hesitant. She's like, I really would like somebody to go out this afternoon um, and just take a look and see what needs to be done. So, all right, I, I can go. And so I grabbed my 10-year-old son, and uh, we headed out. It was probably a couple hours before dark, so we knew we weren't going to be there long. And like you and I, I had the mental picture of where I was headed. I had seen the news. I had seen the videos on social media. I had um, heard, you know, uh, some statistics from the cities um, as they had presented them. And for those of you who had that same mental picture that I had, let me help you out a little bit. Take that mental picture, multiply it by a magnitude of, say, about a thousand, and uh, now you're kind of in the ballpark of uh, what it actually looked like. As we uh, drove into the neighborhood, first thing that struck me is it's kind of hard to figure out where the roads were. Um, there's obviously debris everywhere. Uh, the best I can describe it is the, uh, the military came over and just dropped a bomb on all the houses and then did a second flyby and threw out shingle confetti. It's kind of what it looked like. And uh, as we got into this neighborhood, we realized that this is a pretty big neighborhood, hundreds upon hundreds of homes. And as we got to uh, the church member who had called and asking for a little assistance for their neighbor, we realized that the church member and the neighbor were the only two people who had houses. Um, all of them were totaled except for those two. And so right off the bat, you just realize that the first miracle is that initially everyone got out. And uh, that's just an amazing thing that I'm sure physics and engineers can explain, but uh, it's still kind of hard for all of us to wrap our heads around. Uh, as work crews showed up the next day and the next day, the reoccurring theme was, how did everybody get out of their houses? Or how did, how were they, managed? how did people survive this? And so I think that's a blessing amongst the storm that um, within the homes, at least, there, there's very little uh, casualties. Uh, so the first day was picking up debris just so we could walk around the yards in the driveway and figure out, you know, where we were at. Second day was uh, chainsaw city uh, until the chainsaws broke or the chains needed to tighten in or the battery operated ones were dead, which lasted uh, about 30 minutes. That's how much stuff we cut. Um, the next day was fences. Some were in concrete footings. The soil was wet, so they just blew over some. The post broke or the metal post bent. But one was pretty cool because the owner had a concrete uh, kind of a little retaining wall and all the metal posts were stuck in that wall. So the posts were pretty solid. The foundation was solid. So what the tornado did was it just blew every fence panel out looking like French doors all along. So we had crews in there that loaded up these fences. By the third day, um, the piles on the curb were so high that you couldn't see the other side of the street. One, because there are no houses to give you the high profile. And two, because that's how high the piles were. We started sorting initially, but it got so big that uh, it was just get it as close to the curb. The pile was halfway back to where the houses were. So I don't know how the city's managing all this on that end. But what struck me was the number of people that came out and where they were from. It was hard to even find, in this neighborhood of hundreds of homes, it was hard to even find a place to park because cars literally lined the curb from the entrance into the neighborhood down into every street in that neighborhood, both sides. Uh, at one point I was leaving at the end of the day and it took about 30 minutes just to get out of this neighborhood that you could walk out of. 
because it was one-way traffic because cars were parked everywhere. Every time we turned around, we would see, hey, we're a group of 10, 12, 20, and uh, we just showed up. What can we do? I, we didn't know them. We didn't know who they were or where they were from, uh, but they were there to help. Uh, the last morning I was out, uh, a group of Hispanic women just started coming down the street, and they were carrying some stuff, and they would you guys like tacos? Okay, I guess it's an early lunch. Uh, they woke up, they all got together and uh, scrambled eggs and ham and made breakfast tacos. And normally, I, after I got home, of course, we grabbed them and scarfed them down. And when I got home, I was thinking about it. And I was like, if somebody just walked down my street in my neighborhood with a sack of stuff and said, Hey, I just decided to make you supper. Here you go, guy. Why don't you eat this? One, I, I would question their motive. Uh, two, I probably wouldn't take it. If I did take it, I certainly wouldn't eat it. But we didn't even think about that because we knew that we were all in this together and that everybody was there uh, just to help. And as I shared with last week, those of you who are here, I did the children's sermon for Caroline. I teach at the college. And so we have lots of conversations, uh, you and I and generations before me, and that, you know, we're kind of doomed as a species if we look at, you know, kids these days or the college kids are like, oh, man, there's no hope for the future. I tell you, there's a lot of hope for our future. All you had to do was be out there one day. Uh, there were people from all walks of life, all socioeconomic backgrounds, not just from Rowlett, Garland, not just from Mesquite and Saxe and the surrounding. We had people from Frisco and Irving and Oklahoma that decided they just needed to come down and pitch in and volunteer. And uh, it was an amazing scene, uh, not just the devastation, but just the amount of people. In most cases, there were more people than uh, needed. And uh, so I just, I'm thankful that I was a part of it because you got to see the good in humanity and you got to see the spirituality in mankind. We are going to hear now from Terry Lucius. Terry, please come share with us. Good morning. When Clay called and asked me if I would share my thoughts about the tragedy that happened in Rowlett and Garland the day after Christmas, my immediate thought was, I am not a speaker. Jim is. <laughs> right? But I stepped out of my box and stepped out on faith and said, sure. Thinking of all the many families that have been affected, lives taken, homes destroyed, I can at least share what I saw and felt the day I volunteered. That Friday, I, along with many other volunteers, helped make 1,500 sandwiches, packed lunches, and loaded a trailer to be taken to Toller Elementary. These lunches were given out that Friday night for families to be able to have some food for the weekend ahead. Side note, another Methodist church came to help in assembling of these lunches. God was at work putting together two congregations with the same goal of helping others. Before we left, we circled up held hands, and Connie Miller prayed a heartfelt prayer of thanks and gratitude. God's love was present. When we were done, K-12 
Kay Farrell asked if I would like to help her hand out flyers to one of the areas that was affected. The flyers were to be placed in the door or any place in front of the homes where the homeowners were reminded that the coming Sunday would be the last day to sign up for the Red Cross at Granger Annex. So off we go, not knowing what was ahead of us. As we entered our area, I noticed a sign in a yard that said, Alternate bus route stops here. It never occurred to me that the school children that rode the bus would be affected also. They are now going a different way to school, perhaps having a different bus driver, and seeing the devastation along the way daily as a continual reminder of what had happened. I thought there's not even one normalcy in the lives of these children. When we got out of the car, Kay and I split up. She did one side of the street and I did the other. Many houses were gone, some were spared. When I got to the last house on the street, a gentleman got out of his truck and handed me a flyer. He said he was with the media and wondered if I could visit with him for a few minutes. Well. Just as the song the youth choir just sang, I yelled at Kay and said, Get over here. Lord, I need you. (laughs) I asked if we could do this together, and he said, No problem. I thought, Well, this is not going to be a big deal. They're going to quote a sentence or two in the newspaper. We can do this. Well, out comes the cameraman from the truck. And he was from, they were from Fox 4 News. This is going to be a big deal. My first thought was, okay, we don't even have any lipstick on. (laughs) Alex Boyer asked us our thoughts about seeing the destruction. Kay shared about earlier that week when she volunteered, she found a bookmark in the rubble with the wedding date on it. Again, this brought reality to what had happened. Then they videotaped us walking down the sidewalk with flyers in hand and then placing them under a doormat. With a sigh of relief and giggling and thanking God we had not tripped or fallen, our interview was over. We finished our delivery. Seeing families' possessions... Memories, all that have been worked for, piled in front of curbs, was humbling. But through all of this, our community of faith has come together. Our community has showed a leap of faith with compassion, love, and selfishness through the giving of time, money, supplies, household items, clothes, The list goes on and on. God's faith is steadfast, strong, and alive in Garland and Rowlett, Texas. Thank you so much, Terry. And now we're going to hear from our youth pastor, uh, Randy Adair. It's 
So I, I was in a little bit different situation when I first got the news about uh, what was happening here on December 26th. I was on a family trip, and I was in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, and with my family getting ready for a week of a family reunion. Uh, and the news started coming across, and I started hearing about what was going on, and I started questioning, you know, what was happening, you know, what was going on, because, you know, I'm so far away, and I can't be there, I can't be present, I don't know what's happening. And I, I remember thinking, you know, some of the same feelings that Caroline was sharing in the children's time. You know, I, I remember feeling that, that feeling of, you know, this, this isn't right, this isn't, this isn't fair, you know, what's going on, what's happening. And then I remembered, you know, I had this, this vivid memory of little young Randy Adair, you know, growing up uh, a preacher's kid, and going into my dad at one point as a child in all indignant, uh, you know, uh, anger, saying, Dad, life isn't fair. It's just not fair. And, you know, my dad looking at me and saying, you know, Randy, life isn't fair. It's not going to be fair. But you know what life is? You know what life is promised to be? Life is promised to be merciful. Life is promised to be full of grace. And life is promised to be full of love if we trust and accept that reality. And I remember thinking, you know, but that doesn't change. You know, at the time, I still struggled with that. But as I've grown and I've gone through my life, I've realized more and more that, that that's the truth. That's the reality. That, uh, you know, I, I think of the story of Job. And I think of, you know, that's one of, I'm kind of a strange person in that way. Job is actually one of my favorite books. Because I really relate to the whole situation where, you know, Job is going through all these trials and tribulations. And his friend Job. You know, good friends that come to be with Job. But they're sitting there trying to figure out why Job is going through this. You know, and sometimes we go into these situations that we're like Job's friends. We're trying to make sense of it. We're asking the questions to try to figure out, you know, what happened? Why did this happen? But so often those questions, the intention of those questions is to figure out how can we make sure we don't end up in that situation. And the truth is, we can't make sure we don't end up in that situation. Those situations happen. What we can make sure of is how we respond. What do we do with that? Where do we go? How do we live above and beyond those situations into the future and the hope and the promise, which my dad was trying to speak to me about? So, you know, as I was going out, when I finally got back, I was very anxious to be able to go out and be a part of doing something to make a difference. I remember on the first day out, uh, you know, being overwhelmed by the images, even at that point, even after a week of, of at work, still being overwhelmed by what I was seeing. And as I was going through and working and doing things, in the middle of all of it was this Christmas present, perfectly wrapped, untouched, sitting in the midst of everything else. And, and it struck me when I thought about that image. And I thought about the fact that quite often, in the midst of this, this season, that time of year, we forget that we are given a present in the Christ God. We are given a present of promise of hope. We're given a present. The question is, are we going to take that present and unwrap it? Are we going to take that present and use it and live in that reality? Are we going to make a difference with the gift we are given? 
And so to me, that was a real vivid reminder of that whole image of, am I going to be a person who lives in my life to bring the incarnate presence of Christ into the world? Am I going to accept the call as Mary did to go into the world and to, to get, present the incarnate presence of God in Christ in the world? And that's what this was all about. That's what this whole says. You know, we hear all these stories and we hear all these statements. And that's what it's about. We are called to go into the world and, and be God's hands and feet. So as I was thinking about that, another thing came to mind. And it's an illustration I heard early on in my youth ministry. And it was one of those illustrations that was, you know, I thought, well, that's really, a, that's a neat illustration. That's an interesting illustration. And the illustration is one that I've shared with our youth group before. And it's a situation in World War II. Soldiers are going through this village. And they're going past a cathedral. And on the ground is a statue of Jesus. And the statue is missing its hands and feet. And the soldiers are perplexed. They stand the statue up and they search everywhere. They're trying to search around to find the statue's hands and feet. And they search and search and can't find them. Then, at some point, one of the soldiers takes a sign and writes on it. God, Jesus has no hands and feet but ours in this world. And, you know, as I, I think about that, you know, at the time I thought, wow, that's, that's really a neat illustration. But it's the truth. You know, if you want to know where God is in those situations, it is the incarnate presence of God in us, in our community, and each one of us as we go out and we share the love, we share the mercy, and we share the grace that's been given to each one of us. But uh, the thing that, that also reminds me of you know, the, there's very clear and vivid realities at the end of such disasters as this tornado. It is clear to see. But God calls us out into the brokenness of this world each and every day. You know, we don't have to wait for a situation like this to know that we are called into the world. And now, out in the garden room, you see many examples of how we daily are called into the world in so many different ways. To go out and be that incarnate presence. So, what I would say to myself and to each one of us is that let us be those that are willing to go out and bear Christ in the world. Let us be those who want to go out and be the incarnate presence of Christ's love and mercy and joy and peace and care in the world, even in the midst of whatever situations we face. Even when life is not fair, let us say there is something that has a greater voice than that, something that has a greater promise and hope in whatever those situations are, and help us and each other transcend whatever those difficulties we face. Thank you, the three of you. You speak your own authentic words. You speak the words of Jesus. But you also speak for hundreds of our people that in one shape, form, or fashion have given sacrificially, imitated their Lord, took the great leap of faith to challenge their comfort zones and to be responsive. Show up in prayer, out there in the stricken areas, serving alongside with all kinds of God's children who have made sandwiches, who have provided all kinds of money and materiel 
for the needs of people out in those areas. And that will continue. One of the joyful things about it is that's going to continue. And not just in the Methodist communities of, of Jesus' people, but all of God's people everywhere. Even the groups that don't understand themselves to be God's people. So as I kind of close this time, I won't say anything by way of trying to repeat what has been said, but I will tell you this. You know, our area here in the last year or so has gotten some interesting press on the national media, haven't we? We've got people standing on corners shouting angry things at each other. We've got folks showing up from other places that have been radicalized in the midst of their own struggles and situations and ends up losing their lives out in front of Culwell Center. And all of this sort of stuff. All of this sort of stuff. And yet out there, in certain places that have been reduced to rubble because of a tornado in Garland and in Rowlett, I know for a fact in Copeville, in DeSoto, in Glen Heights, what is happening is not something that Jesus is crying about, but ultimately he is smiling and leading the applause. I'm not talking about the destruction in people's homes. That stuff's not fair. But as Caroline said and others have said, in the midst of what not is what's not fair, God is bringing great grace. And out there now, there are folks working shoulder to shoulder, just like many of us have been doing, all of us have been doing in one way or another. Shoulder to shoulder with folk that are a lot like us and folks that aren't like us at all. Believers and non-believers, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, everybody else. Shoulder to shoulder. Even atheists and agnostics right there in the group. Shoulder to shoulder in a great remarkable line. And the joy of making a difference in the life of somebody who really needs a great infusion of hope and possibility. Nobody's worried about being different from somebody else. Nobody's worried about being potentially afraid of anybody. It's just the caring and the willingness to rush into a situation because somebody's hurting that God puts in the hearts and minds of all of His children, whoever they may be, from the greatest saint to the most challenging heathen. So thank you. And let's keep on. And Jesus smiles broadly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.